Well, today's message is our final message in our Abraham series. And in part one of the series, uh, we focused on Abraham's calling. And everyone in here, like Abraham, is called. God's got a call on your life. God's got a purpose for your life. And God called Abraham away from his family, his home, his country. And it was for this purpose, to follow God's plans and purposes. And then in part two of the series, we looked at Ishmael. And Ishmael being Abraham's son. And how Abraham's uh, faith journey was impacted by Ishmael. How Ishmael made an impact on uh, Abraham's faith. And Ishmael was really the result of Abraham and Sarah's good idea. An idea that they thought would fulfill God's plan and purpose, but it, it was not God's plan and purpose. And then uh, last week in part three of the series, we looked at how Lot, which was Abraham's nephew, uh, impacted Abraham's faith. And Abraham interceded on behalf of Lot, and God heard those prayers and delivered Lot and his family out of Sodom uh, before the judgment of God fell upon that city. And then today in part four of the series, we're going to look how Isaac, uh, Abraham's promised son, how Isaac made an impact on Abraham's faith. And just remember this, when God called Abraham, Abraham wasn't in the prime of his life. And often when God calls us, it's not that we're always in the best of situations. Uh, often when God calls us, he doesn't find us all put together, everything prim and proper. Uh, God finds us often in circumstances uh, which are less than ideal. And same way here with Abraham. Abraham's not in the prime of his life. He's in the latter years of his life, but God calls him. And Abraham didn't have all these qualifications. He didn't have a a huge life resume that, that qualified him to fulfill God's plans and purposes. But God looks beyond our resume, amen? And he looks beyond the things we've accomplished and the things that we've done, and what he finds is a heart. And with Abraham, he finds a heart that is willing. When God calls Abraham, Abraham doesn't know God. And that's one of the things we we forget about, that Abraham and his family served other gods. And that's one of the reasons why God called Abraham away from his family, away from his country, because they served other gods. And so God knew this, that in in Haran uh, with his family, Abraham could not fill God's plans and purposes there. Uh, His family, the country, the gods they served would be a hindrance to that. So God has to call him out of that that world and and to follow his plans. And and likewise, God does the same thing for us. God calls us out of our sin and away from uh, the people often that we commit our sins with. I don't know about you, when I got saved, uh, there was a lot of people that I couldn't hang around with any longer. I was a young Christian. If I would have stayed with them, I would have just fell right back in the hole I got pulled out of. So there was a separation that had to take place there. So God calls us away from people, places and things that will hinder us from following Christ. And there's, that doesn't mean we abandon them, we forget about them. But let's just face it, as a young Christian, there are some people we just have any business being around. We can't serve Jesus while serving this world. At the same time, it's impossible. Uh, we can't serve ourselves uh, trying to fulfill our plans and our purposes while we're trying to fulfill God's plans and purposes. It just will never work. God calls us out from ourselves to serve him. So when God called Abraham, we understand he's 75 years old. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, when we read that, 
that, per, that, uh, that offer from God, it seems like a no-brainer. If you're Abraham, if we're sitting in Abraham's position, we're like, well, sign me up for that. This all sounds good. Why, wh- what do I have to really to risk? God, God's going out on a limb here. He's given all these wonderful blessings. I just have to follow him. But I think if we think of it that way, we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Abraham has everything to lose. Abraham has to leave his family, leave his home, leave his life, leave his gods to serve a God that nobody in his family serves or knows. So the real question is, why on earth would Abraham leave to serve God? And it just shows us from the very start of his journey that he is a man of faith. And this is why he's the perfect candidate to fulfill God's plans and purposes. Abraham followed God's leading to Canaan, and there God reaffirms his promise again. Once Cain, uh, Abraham gets into the land, he's walking through the land, God reaffirms the, pro- the promise. And, and this is the words he says. In uh, Genesis 13, 14, lift, up your, or lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I will give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. So God reveals to Abraham, this land where you're in, this land of Canaan, this is the land where I'm going to give you. It's yours. You possess it. You have it. Uh, the, the land where you're dwelling as a stranger is yours. And there will be descendants that are so numerous like the dust of the earth. But at this point, Abraham has no land and he has no children. Despite not having possession of these promises, Abraham continues to believe God. Take him at his word. Now let's fast forward a couple more chapters. Let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. But one will come from your own body shall be your heir. So then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward the heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said, said to him, so shall your descendants be. So again, here, God is reminding Abraham of his promise. Uh, Abraham is starting to wonder, God, are you ever going to fulfill your promises? Have you ever had that happen in your life? You feel like God makes a promise to you, read it in his word, you, you fill it in your spirit. This is a promise from God, and you're, you're serving God, you're trusting him, and there is no answer. So you, you kind of have to remind God, hey, uh, if I die, my servant's going to be my heir. He, he's, not, he does, he's not related to me. And God knows full well the situation, but I think we, we feel comfortable, we feel better if we just remind God like he's forgotten us. And Abraham reminds God that he has no children and his, the heir of his estate is his servant. God reassures Abraham that he will father a child from his own body. God was very specific about that. That an heir will come from his body. Now, to solidify this promise, in this circumstance, God goes another step. God is the one that initiates this. God makes a covenant with Abraham. And if you know anything about a covenant, it is a contract. It is an ancient contract. 
So God is basically making a written agreement with Abraham. And God invites Abraham into this covenant or this contract, and the conditions are fairly simple. Abraham just must walk by faith. Just trust the Lord. Believe the Lord is going to fulfill his promises, and God in turn will fulfill all those promises. Now, who on earth wouldn't take that deal, right? It's a good deal. All you got to do is trust me, believe, don't give up. I'll fulfill the promises. So God makes the covenant with Abraham, and by this time, it's been 10 years. 10 years since God called him away from his family. Still no land, still no children, but he makes a covenant, a written agreement, a binding agreement with Abraham. And at this point, Abraham is 85 years old. And Abraham and Sarah have tried to conceive a child throughout their marriage, but without success. God reassures Abraham with this covenant that he would father a child. Now, God did not specifically say that in this point, in this circumstance, that Sarah would bear a child. So while that may be true, Abraham has one wife. And God never told Abraham to father a child with another woman. And church, just because God doesn't say we can't do something, doesn't mean we should do something. Are you following me? That's a good way to get yourself in trouble. Well, I have this plan, and I'm going to do it. God, I'm, I'm going to do this. And we're, what we're trying to say is this. I'm going to do this. I just need you to bless and honor my decision. God says it doesn't work that way. It's either my decision or it's your decision. So often we do this with God. God never tells Abraham to take another wife, to never take another woman. But Abraham says, well, this is our plan. God knows about it. And he, if he wants us to stop, then he'll stop us. And again, if you, if you have no opposition or you feel like God doesn't say no, it doesn't mean it's yes. Again, that can get yourself into a lot of troubles and you end up with an Ishmael. God's silent isn't his approval. And so Abraham and Sarah decide that, well, Abraham should father a child through a surrogate. And Abraham offers Abraham, or Sarah offers Abraham her servant Hagar to bear children who would legally then belong to Abraham and Sarah. The couple goes through with the plan. They think, man, we are just, this is how God's going to fulfill his plans. This is a great idea. And of course, it's a terrible idea. And uh, finally get to this place where they're going through life and they think, man, we've done the right thing. It was, the, it was a good thing to do. And God's going to establish his promises through Ishmael. And 13 years later, 13 years after making a, quote, good decision, they find out that it wasn't a good decision. Because God shows up one day with two angels and has this conversation in Genesis chapter 18. And he said, I certainly, excuse me, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced and aged, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I've grown old, shall I have the pleasure, my Lord, being also old, old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And at that point in time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah will have a son. God tells Abraham and Sarah that Ishmael, He's not the chosen one. He is not the one through whom God is going to deliver all these promises. And God, I believe, did not choose to fulfill his promises through the good ideas of man. God says, that you're, we're going to fulfill my plan through the miraculous. 
And God is going to enable a 90-year-old barren woman to have a child. I mean, it's, it's a miracle. It's incredible. And when God tells Abraham and Sarah that Sarah will conceive and bear a child, it's been 25 years at this point since God called them out from Haran. 25 years to deliver on this promise. Now, I believe God waited for a reason. And I believe that the reason that God waited so long, looking through the story, and I'm sure that Abraham and Sarah could see this, is that it is impossible at that point for Sarah to have a child. Barren or not, she is well beyond those years. And so if she's going to have a child, it has to be something miraculous. It has to be something that God then enables. And God has wanted to show us when it comes to his plans and purposes, you've got to rely on him. You've got to trust in him. And you can't always just have a good idea. You've got to settle for his plans rather than your plans. So it was nothing but a miraculous event, and God receives all the glory. Let's turn over now to uh, Genesis chapter 22. Isaac's been born, and by this time, we believe he's about 12 years old when this takes place. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Read those words, and you can just put your name in there if you'd like. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Again, verse 1, God tested Abraham. God will test us. God does, in fact, test each and every one of us. Now, God doesn't tempt us, but God does and will, he will test you. The word Translated as test here means to prove by trial. To prove by trial. God will test or prove our faith with trials, by trials. When something is tested, it proves its strength, it proves its durability. God calls us to live by faith. Therefore, we have to have a faith that will endure. Just to kind of give you an idea here, Romans 1.17, for it in for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just, those who have been justified, born again, shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11, but no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38, now the just shall live by faith. I see a pattern here. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. If we're born again, we must live by faith. Our faith must endure. So Matthew 24, 13, Jesus says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. God gives us all a measure of faith. Every person has a measure of faith. And with that faith, we can receive Jesus as our savior, experience grace and make him Lord over our lives. But our faith must be, grow beyond that new birth experience. After new birth, our faith has to grow because we are called to live by faith. And I'm just, you should all know this, the faith that you had when you got saved isn't going to help you today. It's, it's infant faith. It's childlike faith. 
It was enough to, 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 for you to experience salvation, and that's great. But it's not enough to get you through the, the battles and trials you're going through today. So God allows us to experience trials so that our faith will grow and mature. And while that faith God supplies for us to respond to his grace is wonderful, it's not enough to get through the hardships today. And when you're born again, you have, again, infant faith, and that faith has to mature. And again, God will do that through hardships and trials so that it results in an in enduring faith. God allows trials to mature our faith. And church, we can be certain of this in an uncertain world. We can be certain of this in an uncertain world. We will face trials and tribulations. Jesus said it himself in John 16, these things I have spoken to you that in me you have peace. Thank God for that. But in this world you will have what? Tribulation, trials. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus said in this world we will experience tribulation. Those trials and tribulations help to mature us, to grow our faith. They will also test the genuineness of your faith. If our faith isn't mature as it ought to be, trials will reveal it. Trials will re reveal the genuineness of your faith, and it will, it will show to you the durability of your faith. A trial can give us some awareness, and we all need some awareness. But it will give us awareness of our faith. You know what, my, I'm going through this struggle, I'm going through this trial, but my faith isn't what it should be right now. And that's a good thing. Because God's given you an early warning system. He allows you to go through this trial and you're like, man, I, I didn't handle this so well. And God says, good thing, because you know what, there's another one on the horizon. And this is going to get you ready for that one. So a trial can expose our weakness, but it can also exercise our need to mature our faith. A trial will expose our character or our lack of character. A trial will expose our strength or our lack of strength. If you're suffering through a trial, it might be the result of a poor decision. You ever got yourself in trouble that way? Even if you get yourself in a mess, recognize our error, recognize it's your error, don't, it never works this way, okay? I, I got myself into trouble, but this person or this thing, that's the reason why. I'm just gonna tell you, you're gonna repeat the trial again. It's gonna happen again. And you're going to continue to re repeat that trial until you finally say, you know what? i got to own it. It's mine. It's mine. So be humble and quick to repent. Even if you get yourself into a mess, God can use that mess for his glory. God can help you grow out of your immaturity. If, you, if we make a bad decision, repent, recognize our error again. Don't blame anyone else. Turn to God wholeheartedly. And God will take a bad decision and use it for your betterment. You can endure a trial and you can become bitter. Or you can endure a trial and you can become more mature in your faith. It's up to you. If you're suffering through a trial right now, it may have nothing to do with something that you did. It may be the result of just living in this world. You know, bad things happen to good people. We've heard that said before, and it is true. Trials occur without any provocation. If you're going through a trial, God isn't punishing you, but God is refining you. Isaiah 48.10, Behold, I have refined you, not as silver, as I have, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And we, we've all heard this phrase before, the expression, 
uh, out of the oven into the frying pan. You ever been through affliction that way? You're like, man, I went through a, a very difficult situation only to find yourself into another, if not equally or more difficult situation trial. God will use affliction to refine us, to purify our faith so that it becomes something that will endure. Psalm 66.10, for you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. Pardon the pun, but if you're going through hell, don't stop. Don't get bitter. God is using that affliction for a reason, and it might be for a reason you don't currently understand, and you don't have to have it all figured out. And this is why maturity is so important, because enduring faith is so important, because God will often use affliction to refine you. When a trial happens, instead of saying, why me? A trial happens, we should understand there's a reason. And not that I want to sign up for a trial. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not crazy, okay? But instead of saying, why me? In our heart, we should understand God's chosen me for this purpose. There's a reason why I'm going through this affliction. God's not just sitting back and saying, well, it's time for them to suffer today. That's not his heart. How many of you have had children that they have to make mistakes? And you know, you can't be mommy and daddy your whole life. You can't stop them from making mistakes. Because if you do, they're going to make bigger and bigger mistakes. 1 Peter 1.6. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a, w- a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, God wants to refine our faith. He wants to remove all the contaminants so that our faith is pure, so that it will endure, for what reason? For the salvation of our souls. See, we're saved and we're being saved. If we're not saved and being saved, the faith that you had is enough and it doesn't matter if you mature or grow whatsoever. We are saved and we're being saved. We have to have a faith, we live by faith, and that faith must endure to the end. If you're going through a trial, don't make mistakes that that trial is the absence of God's love because it's not. God allows a trial for a reason. It may be for a reason that you don't understand. It may be for a reason that you don't agree with. But you have to trust God and his love for you. God tested Abraham. And likewise, God will test you. God tests the genuineness of Abraham's faith. He will test the genuineness of your faith. God gave Abraham Isaac, a son, everything that Abraham just dreamed of. And I don't want to put Abraham into a bad light, but I think we can look at Abraham's life, and while he loved Sarah, Isaac was the one he loved the most. And there's a reason why God does what he does for this very reason, because he's testing Abraham. How, How does Abraham respond to God's request to sacrifice this miraculous son who brings Abraham and and Sarah, so much joy. How does he respond? Verse three, so Abraham rose early in the morning. And the alarm's set for six, but I'm getting up at four. Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took his two young men with him 
And Isaac, his son, he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. If you were Abraham, I can't imagine he slept well that night. I can't imagine that he slept at all. Uh, We don't know if Abraham told Sarah. If Abraham told Sarah what God had said, it proves that Sarah's faith is incredible as well. And I would say as a mother, probably even greater than Abraham's. So Sarah either knows and her faith is as great, or if not greater than Abraham, or she doesn't know and Abraham doesn't tell her. But put yourself in Abraham's position. Abraham doesn't question God or wonder what kind of God would do such a thing. Most of us, let's be honest, would get angry or frustrated with God. And most likely, we would never go on that three-day journey. But Abraham has unwavering faith. And why does he have unwavering faith? Because he has went through trials. And all those trials have refined him for this moment, that God's going to test him. And this is the test of all tests. God is going to prove whether his faith is as genuine as he says it is or proclaims it to be. Abraham has this unwavering faith, and he obediently follows God. Abraham didn't delay his decision. He gets up the next morning, prepared for the journey, and takes Isaac with him. And through this testing, God finds out why Abraham serves him. Is Abraham serving God because of all the blessings that God promised? I'll give you land and descendants. Or is Abraham serving God because he loves God and he trusts God? Think about it. Why do you serve God? Why do you serve Jesus? Are you serving Jesus because he can save you? Or are you serving Jesus because you love him? And in the beginning, it's going to be this. When you get born again, you, say, you, love, you are serving him because he can save you. And that's a normal, immature response. Listen, if you get saved, you're immature. And day one, you're a baby. I don't care if you're 100 years old. But I'm just saying this. As you grow in your faith, you should grow in your love for God. And at some point, you're serving God not for what he can do, but for who he is. And if you're serving God today for what he can do, you've got it backwards. Because we should be loving God for who he is. Genesis 22, 7 through 12. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, they've taken the three-day journey. They've gotten to the place. My father, he said, here I am, my son. And then he said, look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? He doesn't know he's it. (laughs) Maybe he's catching on. I don't know. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him upon the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad for do ne- for, or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham proves to God that he is dedicated to God first. And God will test your love for him. God will test your faith. And when he tests your faith, he's going to get down right to this this whole situation. Do you love him for who he is, or do you simply love him for what he can do for you? Is God 
your father, your heavenly father, is he just Santa Claus? Abraham proves to God by this test that his faith wasn't just religious word service, but it was committed trust. I think back to Abraham and Sarah trying to, to help God fulfill his plans. And they were trying to do it in their own strength, and they had Ishbel, and good decision turns out to be a bad decision. Now we see Abraham, at this stage in his life, he's a pillar of faith, isn't he? I mean, he's not the man that, that fathered Ishmael. He's a completely man of faith at this point. He had faith in the beginning, I understand that, but his faith is so amazing at this point. God tested the covenant he made with Abraham this day. God made that covenant way back with Abraham. He gave Abraham all the grace and all the mercy, didn't he? And all the promises. But when it comes down to it, this is the day that it was all tested. Abraham, do you serve me because you love me, you trust me, or do you serve me because I just give you stuff? Abraham was called to live by faith, in a faith that would endure it. It would have to endure to this moment because the test was taking place. And on this day, God tested Abraham, the genuous and the strength of his faith, and Abraham proves that his faith is strong and genuine and mature in God. God has to stop him, doesn't he? And when you see that, when you usually see the two names, it's not like Abraham, Abraham. Now, there's some hints in Scripture you can find that that does take place, but not in this one. It's Abraham. Abraham! Stop! Abraham is that committed, that committed to go through with God's plans. Why? Because he trusts the Lord. God had to stop Abraham, called him to quit, but Abraham was doing exactly what God was requesting him to do. And that's a faith that is committed, church. And you know what? You may not be there right now. I can tell you this. I don't think I'm there right now. But Abraham is our faith father, Scripture says. He is our example of how we should follow Christ. Abraham, in the past, he had lied. And remember, those lies resulted in his wife being put in a very bad position twice. Abraham allowed Lot to follow him. When Lot followed him, he should have said, no, you have to stay back, son. I love you, you're my, my nephew, and I know your father's deceased, but you need to stay here with your other uncle and your grandpa. Don't follow me here. If you read the story of Lot's descendants, you know they became a thorn in Israel's side. There's a reason why God said, leave your country, your family, follow me. Ishmael, boy, that was a great idea. But Ishmael was still used to fulfill God's plans and purposes, just not this plan to bring a Messiah. Abraham doesn't have a great track record, does he? His faith is full of ups and downs, mistakes, heartaches. But now we see with Isaac, a man who is strong and mature in his faith. And if God had asked Abraham, please catch this, if God had asked Abraham years before, I want you to take Ishmael, and I want you to go three days into the wilderness, and go to a place where I'm going to show you, I want you to sacrifice him there, I believe Abraham would have said, no, I'm not doing it. I don't think he had it in him at that point in his life. I don't think he could obey God and trust God that much. I don't think he was mature enough in his faith. But now he is tested, he is tried, he is matured. Abraham has a faith that is strong, it's pure, and it will endure to the end. It didn't happen overnight. It took 30 years for this to take place, church. When you get saved, your faith shouldn't be the same 30 years later. I, I, would, I, I don't want to be negative or nasty, but I just want to challenge you. Please, do not stand before the Lord with the faith that he gave you, 
that was very infant and, and good in the beginning that he expects you to mature. Remember the parable of the talents. Apply that to this. Now you get to this place in your life where he can't say, well done, good and faithful servant. He could just say, well, done. <laughs> Didn't happen overnight. It took 30 years to develop. Faithfulness, errors, coming back from those errors, trusting God. God is working on you and I. He is using trials to mature us, church. James 1, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy. Count it all, especially if you're in a trial. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And it almost implies those aren't the trials you've created. It's the trials that just happen, that God allows for a reason. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Having a faith that is purified. Having a faith that is mature. Having a faith that is strong. God doesn't ask us to be happy when trials come. Listen, give you an example. I lost my job today. Praise God, I'm so happy. What, are you crazy? Now, at the end of your journey, you may think, thank God that I lost my job because God provided a better job. But you know, we're fired and better job, there's a gap in between often, and that's not so fun. My child has an incurable disease. I'm so joyful. I'm so happy. Yeah, your, your child has an incurable disease, but God heals them miraculously. How many years does it take? Maybe they're an adult. That trial and journey is not so pleasant and joyful. But when you get to the end, church, you understand, while I never want to go through it again, I understand now. How many of you have ever been there before? While I don't want to go through that mess again, God, hear me, I understand why. And I understand it wasn't to break me down, to tear me apart because you hated me or you're mad at me, just actually you loved me. Because it's made me a person of faith, and I have a faith now that can just endure. That when the world just falls apart around me, my feet are planted solid. I trust the Lord. You can cry, get upset, feel down, defeated, but you can't stay there when you're going through a trial. Get your bearing and realize life may stink, and it's unfair. Get it all out. God's okay with it. You serve a big God. But there is a trial to endure, and God is going to be there with you every step of the way. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. God will help you through this trial. Often we get in the trial, we don't ask for help. We just start complaining. God, why is this happening? God, why is that happening? Why does that person do this? God, will you help me? I've been waiting for you to ask. God will strengthen me through a trial. I'm going to go through this trial trusting God, even if it ends in results that I didn't think would the results would be. You can get angry, confused, hurt, upset, but it will pass. It will pass. And you can get through it with God's help. God has a plan for our lives, something that involves affliction. But affliction isn't punishment and it's not abandonment. And God knows where you are. He knows where you're heading. And God wants us to overcome and succeed. The trial you face today, church, prepares you for the trial you're going to face tomorrow. Remember, in this world, you will have trouble, tribulation, trial. Nowhere in the Bible does it promise you trial one will be the most difficult trial, and you'll be smooth sailing from there on out. In fact, I'm telling you, it only increases. 
Hey, listen, you younger people, uh, when you have children, trials increase. Uh, when you uh, get a, a different job and, and you're living out on your own, whether it's pr- promotion, oh, thank God for a promotion, and then you don't realize this, you get the promotion and a trial has begun because your boss is a jerk. And now God is going to say, okay, you wanted the money, you wanted the promotion, now let's see if you can live as a Christian and be light to someone that's just full of darkness. God has put you in those places for a reason. He's testing you. So please understand this. The trial you face today prepares you for the trial you're facing tomorrow. I need to close there.